everybody and welcome to the Cana Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 398. We're going to be talking about venerable computer role-playing game, Planescape Torment. You can play along with our podcast, that's one of the things that we encourage. There's only a couple of games left before the end of this year, our eighth year. And it's just a small matter of beating Donkey Kong Country Returns on the Wii or the 3DS and Final Fantasy XV. And then we're done for a few weeks. You can get every show actually earlier than regular folks who don't chip in. Patreon.com slash Rinse. A dollar a month is all we ask. You can put in more if you like. It's like 77p, 0.91 euro at the time of recording. And you get early shows, extended shows, and an exclusive monthly show as well. And it helps us keep on doing what we do, which is, as well as this show... You can also listen to our other podcasts. On Wednesdays, we have Sound of Play, which is video games music. On Thursdays, we have Playwright, which is inventing new video games. And on Fridays, Chris O'Regan talks to the people who make the games in his sausage factory. Subscribe, review and rate uh, this show and the other shows on Apple Podcasts or whatever RSS feed based app you use. You can even listen to this one on Spotify if it's uh, convenient to you. It might be wherever you get your media. We also do some live streaming on Twitch, which also gets archived onto YouTube. Subscribe to both of those and keep an eye on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for times and dates of those fun sessions. And you can always find the full schedule. Download any old podcast at canarince.com. We sometimes get asked, have we covered a game or where can I get that podcast? Canarince.com is always your first port of call. Thank you for listening to this announcement. So joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 398 are the nameless one. That's not right. James Carter. Uh, Dead again. (laughs) Uh, The feckless one, John Salmon. Hello. It's rude, isn't it? And before we introduce our (laughs) guest, we've got a bit of correspondence. Simon Sloth from the forum says, Planescape Torment has always been on my backlog, so I was pleased to see it on this year's playlist so I could give it a whirl. The elevator pitch for this game sounds fantastic and pretty much ticks every box required to get me interested. In truth, I really wish I never started it, and it's been the bane of my gaming life this year. I kept thinking it was going to get better, and I chipped away at it over the year before finishing it a few weeks ago. My main issue is that I just didn't find it fun or rewarding to play. I'd love a trimmed-down version as the narrative, characters, and world-building are interesting, but as it is, unfortunate, unfortunately, I didn't really like it. Couple this with the massive time investment involved in finishing it, I've been left with a bad taste in my mouth, which wouldn't have been there had it been a quarter of the length. You're probably wondering why I persevered. Well, it's Sean Bell's fault. Every time I gave up, he would bring it up on the computer game show and I would boot it up again. His elevator pitch is pretty convincing. Here he is. The proselytizing one, Sean Bell. I mean, I feel like I'm starting off on the back foot here. That's quite a (laughs) (laughs) accusation from the start. Well, you could call it an indictment, actually, couldn't you? I suppose. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll get into it Uh, now. James here hasn't managed to beat the game, and we'll get into why. uh, Which is, you know, it's it's an exception, and uh, yeah, it's it. When we scheduled this show i don't think we had a clue that it was going to be coming out again this year we knew it was available on good old games and the enhanced edition was already around which made it slightly more accessible but i don't think we knew that uh, 
console versions were going to happen. Mm. It's just so it's just turned out that way. Uh, but anyway, so Sean, you've been banging on about this game at the expense <laughs> of other people's sanity and spare time yeah. for some time. So what's your 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 personal history? Did you play it back in '99? I did. Uh, so I first borrowed this from um, the internet's Matt Lee's because we used to be. Well, sorry, we still are friends. God, that sounds really weird. Uh, <laughs> we were friends in high school, and um, yeah, and he was getting massively into um, you know computer RPGs, and then and then he'd sort of pass them on to me when he was done with them. And uh, so I think initially um, trying to play this when you're like 15 years old kind of wasted on me. I think um, I think I sort of appreciated it for what it was, um, and then and sort of always wanted to go back to it, and then never got around to it. And then I think it was. It was a good few years later because it kind of disappeared for a while. There was no sort of official way to buy it. And then I yeah. think uh, it was sort of re- got a re-release under that sold out label. And I managed to find Probably. a copy yeah, and, and pick yeah. that up. And then, yeah, so then sort of in, I don't know, it must have been 20, 21, um, find, you know, played it through to completion and absolutely adored it. Um, even, wow. you know, sort of, you know, a couple of years after the release. Two years of university of life, mate. Yeah, yeah. And you, were, and you got all the messages yeah. of the... Yeah. Well, I mean, even then, you know, um, it's still quite easily... Like, I I don't say this as a boast. I'm I'm not a reader. Um, and Planescape Torment was... like, And, and, and this is sad. Like, I'm really not, not suggesting this is cool or anything, but Planescape Torment is what, like convinced me that you know the written word could be really compelling and interesting um and uh, i think you're in safe company here. yeah um and yeah yeah so i absolutely loved it playing it through my early 20s i think still you know there are probably things about it that seemed maybe more impressive than like with me being younger and just the fact that that you know there really hadn't been anything quite like this and obviously we'll, we'll get into that mm. um and then yeah uh and yeah, it's one of those games that, although it's been a long time since I played it, memories of it are fairly vivid just because it still gets talked about like so much, um, you know, to this day. Um, and especially, you know, obviously more recent conversations, you know, a couple of years ago, we had Torment Tides of Numenera, which, you know, we'll get onto. And most recently, um, uh, Disco Elysium, which, which owes a lot to this. Um, right. However, for this show, I was like, right, I'm going to replay it. I'm going to re- redo the whole thing. Um, forgetting that it's like you know 35 hours plus and also i so i just bought myself a new ipad and was like yeah of course i'll I'll play it on that that'll be perfect it's you know it's accessible i can dip in and out Mm. Uh, i absolutely hate the ipad version oh Um, okay that's interesting and it's been a real stumbling block so i haven't like replayed the whole thing um but i've had a bit of a refresher so sure not to worry um yeah that's interesting you should say that because james has had problems that we'll get into with the switch version okay and mm-hmm. we were sort of wondering we, we were looking at the respective reviews mm-hmm. which we'll also come on to but the ios version did distinctly better critically oh wow okay. than, than the console versions and we wondered if there was an if it was just maybe the, the touch interface or maybe it was just a bit depending on your ipad mm. maybe it just ran a bit smoother but it mm. sounds like maybe some of the the issues prevailed yeah. there anyway all right. Well, there's plenty more to talk about, but John, what's your history with Planescape Torment? Uh, I also played this back. It wouldn't have been quite twenty years ago. I'm sure in 1999, when I was 13 or 14, I wouldn't have had the the time of day for it. Mm. Although I was I was a big reader at the time, and we had quite limited gaming time and TV time and stuff with my parents, so oh, okay. I ended up reading a 
absolute ton of books mm -hmm. as a, sort of an extra thing. And it was around that time when I was probably early teens, I started reading a lot of more high fantasy and um, other similar sort of things to like the D&D-based material that this comes from. Um, also started playing Magic the Gathering, which I think has got a lot of similarities, very sort of D&D-based um, yeah. alignment systems. And I remember looking at the... Um, you know, all the magic cards. And I think more than even enjoying playing the game, I think I just like looking at the artwork and the pictures and reading the ridiculous little snippets of lore and stuff on them. Um, and then this game would have come out, I probably didn't play it until maybe 2001, 2002. So by that time I was more 17, 16, 17. Um, I definitely had a, one of the old big box PC copies of it. Um played it a lot amongst various other PC games, although I never really played very many of the other um, similar sort of Black Isle um, and Bioware right. uh, CRPGs that came alongside it. Um, and that was that was about it. I probably played through the whole thing. I may have played it twice, but, you know, we're looking at 18 years ago. Memories are pretty faint by now of exactly what happened with it. But... I've always had it sat in the back of my head of I really enjoyed this game. I'd like to go back and play it at some point. And then we had two years ago, both the releases of the um, the PC and I think the, the iOS and Android versions of yeah. the enhanced edition of this, along with mm -hmm. the other four or five enhanced editions that have all come with the uh, similar games. And at the same time as that, uh, Tides of Numenera, which I have played the opening few hours of at least a few times. And every <laughs> time I've sat down and played the beginning of that, I've thought, I really want to do this, but I probably should play the original Planescape <laughs> Torment first. It makes more sense to do it yeah, that way around. Right. Um, and then we decided to do it for the show a year ago, I guess. So I know, think it was your pick for the... It, it certainly was my pick. Here we are. Mostly, I think, just as a you know, kick up the backside to yeah. get on and do it, and then also play Numenera, which I bought for full price on day one. So right. okay. probably sensible <laughs> to get yeah. on with it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I've I've blasted through it over the course of the last few weeks in my usual style. I've done as much as I could with it and tried to squeeze every little drop of content out. And here we are. Fab. Now, James. <laughs> I'm not going to lay this at Sean's feet because he's not he's far from the only person who's <laughs> uh who's had very high praise for this game. It's a game that came out at a time when I think I've said many times on this podcast I wasn't playing a lot of games necessarily. Yep. Basically I'd gone to university what 3 months before this started didn't have anything to play games on at that point. I was in a um dorm room essentially at, at uni and uh kind of ended up having a break from gaming. Yeah, we've discussed before your your years of um, debauchery. Yeah, so you got a life, mate. That's what happens. <laughs> <Absolutely>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know what you were like at uni, James. Um, yeah, no, just sat in a room watching films instead of playing games. Basically. No way. It's <laughs> shocker. Um, anyway, like did exercise and stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, even that, no, because I stopped swimming at that point. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened at university. I came out after three years with Crohn's disease and not much else to show for it. Not a degree. Um, mm. I, yeah, I did get a degree, I suppose. But a lot of degree that's been for me disease. in chemical engineering, and I've never done any chemical engineering. <laughs> hey, sounds you win some, you though. lose some. <laughs> anyway, video games. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'd heard a lot of 
good about this game um along the lines of uh like the original fallout games from same studio and Baldur's gate and that kind of thing as well uh but kind of stretching over a period where there was a lot of fairly lauded narratives in video games uh going on to even stuff like deus ex shortly after this although obviously different genre um and so it'd always been one that I'd looked at when the Enhanced Edition came out and came to GOG and, and I think eventually Steam, I think it came to GOG first. Anyway, kind of eyed up, had it on wish lists for a long time and just never got round to it, but always had it on our grand old spreadsheet down as a game that I wanted to play and uh, and there, therefore put myself forward for this show. And as you said, Leon, it just happened that they announced there was going to be console versions and I thought, it seems like the sort of game that obviously is made to be played on a PC with a mouse. And the iOS or mobile versions kind of made sense as well in terms of touch <laughs> Being interfaces. James, you decided to play it in the most awkward and unpleasant <laughs> way possible. <laughs> well, I ended up justifying it to myself because I thought, well, these have come out like within a couple of months of us recording. It would seem silly not to have a perspective on how these play. Bless Even if you. that means I absolutely crippled my own ability to play the game. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and the developers should take some of the blame for this because they, they actually what completely finished you off in the end were full out, all out broken game bugs. Oh, really? That have been in since the, as far as I can tell, the original, certainly the enhanced version, oh, and, and yeah. exist in, in all versions of the game. So it's not even the yeah. specific port, the specific platform. It, I uh, guess related, because so. playing it on a PC, maybe it's. I think maybe it's like memory leak stuff. So maybe if you've got enough memory to circumnavigate that issue, mm. certainly. It, so the the issue I ran into, I guess we'll we'll get into exactly where I ended up uh, yeah. stopping my playthrough. Although I've I've watched videos of a let's play through to the end of the game, so I am aware of what happens beyond where I got to. But yeah, it was. Uh, so someone suggested memory leak. I tried shutting the console down, restarting it. The problem seemed to be I'd picked an order of uh, actions very slightly wrong from what I should have done, and it meant uh, that there were infinitely respawning enemies in one area of the game that yeah. were all fighting one another off screen. Uh, so it was shadows fighting against the right trigits or whatever they're called. Tree, yes. tree jits, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and they're all fighting off screen. Garden. So, so it had to do loads of calculations for every dice roll that was happening. Yeah, that I was not a part of, and mm. it just ground to a complete halt to the point where I, I not so you, I think, ran into the same a similar issue. I did. Were able Managed to extricate myself to get yeah. out of it. I couldn't On because PC. I couldn't move fast enough yeah. to be able to get away from combat because the game was chugging so badly. And then when I finally did get to a cutscene, the combat carried on, even though the cutscene was playing. Yep, so yep. I couldn't see or, well, I could hear what was going on, but I couldn't see yes. what was happening to me until the cutscene ended and it turned out I you had died. Yeah. My, three of, of my five companions had died. And the second time around, I lost all of their gear because I didn't know awesome. where they died. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was bizarre. I, I popped up on Twitter if anyone wants to have a look at in my account, a bunch Some of footage, stuff that was yeah. going on. It was weird stuff that was Goodness happening. It really me. was, yeah. Buyer beware. And I don't think, uh, I have obviously I haven't read all the recent reviews of these, mm. but I don't think, and understandably, you know, some of us have been in the situation of writing reviews to deadline and you won't always get enough time to discover this stuff when you're, when you're writing a review, a mm. re-release of a 20-year-old game. 
Um, so it's, you know, I, I'm loath to put the blame at reviewers' feet. Really, the responsibility comes with the mm. developers. If you play the first 10 hours of a game as a reviewer and it seems to work fine, it's, yeah, I yeah. think it's mm. very harsh to, uh, to call people out for not having found these yeah. late game issues. Um, but yes, I think that the folks involved should probably get some patches out, even if it is well after the, the yeah. fact, because, mm, yeah, yeah I'll be mm, aware. Yeah. Myself, I have very limited experience with anything to do with D&D, which this is. I have very limited CRPG experience. In fact, have we even co covered a classic CRPG in, on Kane and Rinse before? I know that we've done some of the 3D first-person ones like System Shock 2 mm -hmm. and Deus Ex, which have a lot of shared elements but and yeah. are from the same time era of PC gaming. But I don't recall us doing an actual an CRPG, actual either CRPG, yeah. either one of the ones from the time or one of the, you know, Pillars of Eternity yeah. or Dragon Divinity. Age or whatever, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we did, we did Dragon Age, but it was, but it was the console, you know, that there was also yeah. the, the console yeah. version of that. But certainly that's probably the, the closest, closest thing we did. Yeah. I played about an hour of the original Baldur's Gate at some point in my life and thought, oh, that's cool, and then never went back to it. And this has just been on my, yeah, I'd like to play that someday because people seem to think it's a great yarn so i took the opportunity of john's nomination to get it on pc and i played it for about 40 hours just under i think and i did manage to complete it despite those issues and bugs i guess just having a reasonably capable pc kind of powers through and and kind of paints over the cracks of the issues of the tech maybe somewhat more yeah. than the console versions uh, are able to do i'm not sure anyway uh, a spoiler warning for the story, because this game is as much about story as anything. Don't listen on if you intend on playing the game at this point. Save it for a, another day. The developer is Black Isle Studios. They'd previously made two games before this. They were the ones who started the Fallout franchise, as it is now, making Fallout 1 and Fallout 2. Then, as I understand it, a number of the core team from Black Isle went off and formed Troika Games and started working on other things. Meanwhile, Chris Avalone, who'd been working uh, for Interplay, who are the distributors, uh, he'd made a couple of games, uh, also another D&D &D game called Descent to Undermountain and a Star Trek game called Starfleet Academy. Uh, he'd worked on mission design, came across to this one became, to become the uh, designer, director, writer kind of fellow. Uh, it started in 1997. The game's designers produced a 47-page document that outlined the game's premise and vision statement. It was used to pitch the idea to management at Interplay. Initially, the game was to be called Last Rites, and they described the game as avant-garde fantasy dis to distinguish it from high fantasy. The document also contained concept artwork for characters and areas of the game. It was one of three Planescape games being developed by Black Isle at the time, along with a PlayStation game by Colin McComb based on From Software's King's Field. So we might have had mm. a kind of move into the, the Demon Souls type of yeah, thing yeah, yeah. earlier <laughs> than otherwise. Uh, and also a PC game by Zeb Cook. The other two were cancelled and only Last Rites was released, renamed as Planescape Torments. So this is an Infinity Engine game and there were yeah a number of these, which uh, probably the most popular in the end were the two Bioware Baldur's Gate games. Mm. but this engine is known for yeah for those who've never played one of these games i guess the the fact that they've come out again on console will at least have people kind of looking at footage and stuff but so it's kind of yeah it's kind of isometric it sort of takes its cues in some ways from 
the even older kind of 8 and 16-bit isometric RPGs, but also I know on the Enhanced Edition you can actually zoom in, even though it's 2D, effectively you, you can zoom in and out. Was was that in the original PC version as well, just in lower resolutions? I'm trying to remember. I don't I think, think it, so. Was it? I no, you don't I'm not sure. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, it would have been I more of a stretch. Specifically either. Mm. Uh, and other things about this engine, I suppose, are its ability to have kind of, um, what would you say, kind of, yeah, branching narratives and multi-stacking quests mm. and loads and loads of items and loot and fiddly, nice, nicely, mouse and keyboard clicky inventory screens. And also what the, what combat the other that was real time, but you can pause it whenever you want so that you'd sort yeah. of end up sort of sure. defining your own sort of almost like a turn-based system where you'd be like, right, pause it. You do this, you do this, you yes. do this. Let it play out for two sure. seconds. Right, pause it again. Fairly <laughs> essential because otherwise you can, yeah, you can just die in seconds or yeah. have key members of your party die literally in three hits. Yeah, if, you yeah, take, yeah. if you take pick the wrong fight and if you let members of your party die, they are dead unless you reload a save, which I did a lot of. <laughs> and that's kind of feels like it's baked into the way you play these games as well. Mm. Like dying and reloading doesn't feel like you've doesn't feel like you've cheated yourself so much as it feels like you've done the uh, Prince of Persia Sands of Time thing yeah. of saying, No, that's, that's not, not how it happened. <laughs> yeah. Well especially because they give a quick save option on PC. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that that says you should be saving often to me. Um, it's a bit sort of hit and miss what um, you know what you end up with anyway. But because everything works on a dice roll system, yeah. you can save before a combat encounter yeah. and have wildly different outcomes. Mm. And I, I genuinely don't think I knew going into this, playing it for the show I started about, I don't know, six weeks ago or something. I don't think I knew it had anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Like I knew that Baldur's Gate, I'd played Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance on the PS2, mm. and so I knew from that that Baldur's Gate was a and d thing. I only ever played some Warhammer fantasy roleplay as a, as a young adult, uh, and I knew basically it was, I had a friend who said, oh, Warhammer, you know, poops all over D&D. D&D's kind of old and <laughs> stodgy and boring. Um, but I didn't know that Planescape is a kind of D&D otherverse. It's a setting, yeah. It's, and yeah. the, you know, that what we you know take as like a typical you know sort of tolkien-esque um dungeon mm. and dragon setting that's like just one aspect of this ridiculous yeah. multiverse that, that planescape throws together um yeah it's, it is absolutely fascinating because like, yeah again you know so at the time uh when i first played this like i played a bit of um dungeons and dragons um right. and done a bit of pen and paper role playing but yeah playing this i i assumed this was all an original creation i had no idea that there, mm. there is that you know so, there were D mm. source books um, you know, available for the, the Planescape setting. Um, and it's, like, it must have been a hell of a task, right? Like, because you're taking, because obviously, you know, the beauty of pen and paper role-playing is that, okay, you have an amount of stuff pre-written, but a lot of it, is, you're just kind of making it up. You know, it's improv theatre in a lot of ways. Yes, um, absolutely. And to take this setting where it's like, oh, by the way, literally anything that's bound on all sides can be a portal to anywhere else in the multiverse. <laughs> To like yeah. to do something like that justice in a computer game um, must have seemed basically impossible. But I, mm. it, it pretty much manages it. It, <laughs> or it does enough interesting things with it. This one came out in December 1999, December the 12th. Hence, we're doing it roughly around its 20th anniversary. Mm. The Enhanced Edition, as we said, came out in April 2017, developed by Overhaul and published by Beamdog. Uh, perhaps something about overhaul and fixing 
things um, <laughs> for the <laughs> recent console versions. The Switch, PS4, and Xbox One versions came out in September 2019. So the original game reviewed very, very well, over 90% across 40 organs or platforms. The re-release didn't get so much attention, but averaged 85-odd percent. The iOS version, as I said, actually managed a very, very respectable... Only had three reviews, but they were all glowing, including a maximum score one. Um, So it averages like 93%. The Xbox One version and the Switch version have recently been reviewed. No one's reviewed even the PS4 version. I guess there's just not that much appetite amongst the games press to to cover these. And there's so much stuff coming out at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, but for the double pack, we've got 80% one review for the Xbox One version. And after three reviews for that Switch version, we've got it's kind of gone down to 71-odd percent, which may or may not relate to the technical side or not without having read them can't be sure oh the Back. benefits of hindsight <laughs> yeah absolutely so i'm i'm really yeah. surprised by that ios score so the the thing that's irritated mm. me with it um okay is i mean it's just it's quite fiddly like clicking on characters is really annoying because you have to click at the base of their feet you can't just click on them uh, like if you click yeah. so you know around the torso you'll run okay. behind them um, right. uh, can you pinch to zoom is that you can you can pinch to zoom so yeah it's i'm kind of doing this thing of like zooming right out as i'm running around and then as soon as yeah. i need to interact with stuff i'm like zooming all the way back in bit fiddly yeah the other problem is because there's obviously you've no mouse um normally you know there's objects in the world you can interact with but the they're not designed in such a way that they're necessarily obvious but if you've got a mouse mm. you know you, you sort of scan around and then like you know a box will suddenly be highlighted because you can interact uh, with it yeah Right. Yeah, can't do that with a finger. So basically, (laughs) your options are nothing is highlighted or everything is. Everything. Yeah. Right. And obviously, you can toggle that on and off, but you're constantly thinking, well, what if I'm missing something? Um, And if you turn that highlighting on, it also, like the names of every character on the screen appears above their head. And in certain sections, it's just unbelievable. There's a lot of NPCs yeah. milling about. Um, so including your six party yeah. members with <laughs> yeah, their exactly. full names above their heads. Um, so I found that unbelievably unpleasant. Um, I, and, I, and you know, this is on an it, iPad. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what Pity. it'd be like on a phone. Yeah. Um, oh, unplayable, yeah. I would think. Yeah. So that yeah. was a shame. I was thinking, I was playing this on my reasonably sized uh, monitor, which is only only a 1080p monitor. <laughs> um, and I, do you know what? I never even thought to check what resolution the game was running in because it all looked so, you know, nice and crisp and high res mm. for a 1999-2017 enhanced game. Mm. I never even thought, like, I think that must be the first time I've ever played a PC game and not thought, what resolution is this <laughs> running in? I must get the most out of it. Um, but I did because I'm... 47 years old and my eyesight's not as good as it was i did turn the font size up because <laughs> uh, by default everything was quite widdly and i think i would have struggled on the switch even if uh, certainly in handheld mode yeah um, i'm one of those weirdos who mainly plays my switch docked anyway but i i'm not sure it i'm not sure this game would have looked good smeared across my my big gaming screen anyway it just feel it, everything about it felt at home on a pc monitor with a mouse and a keyboard available it just seemed like the way I wanted to play. So, I, so James, what's? It, I assume is it you know sticks and buttons on the switch? Is that really horrible, or did you just play it with the touchscreen? Or uh, I I never actually tried using the touchscreen because okay. I'm well. For one thing, I'm on a switch light. Okay. So I don't have any option to put it on a TV. But right. also, 
screens slightly smaller, mm-hmm. um, which is perfectly readable, but I didn't really want my finger in the way of it for right. the same reasons yeah. we've just uh, talked about on yeah, the, yeah. the iPad. So you've got control sticks, and what it does is implement for movement like a, a toggle on and off system where you go between drive mode and tactics mode. Okay. So tactics mode's more like you've got a pointer that you're moving around the screen using the stick. Mm-hmm. So, again, as as slow and kind of tedious as that sounds, it kind of can be, but you're kind of scanning around for whatever it is you want. And that kicks in when you go into combat um, so mm. that you can highlight the enemy you want to click on or the party member that you want to buff or, or mm-hmm. you know, do perform an action. Um, but when you're in drive mode, you're just controlling one of your party members. It can be individually or it can be as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, you're controlling one of them and moving them around the screen just like a third well, isometric yeah. dungeon crawler, essentially. Okay. Um, and what it does is it dynamically hi- highlights whatever it thinks you're looking at on the screen. Mm-hmm. So, like, if it's a chest, it'll be highlighted blue. Um, and that can obviously be quite fiddly because there's a lot of stuff on screen that can mm. be highlighted. So, if you're only in drive mode, you end up feeling like you need to kind of jink the stick in one direction or the other, little bits, millimeter at a time to get to highlight the right thing. Mm. But, of course, what you realize is you need to flip down to the D-pad, switch over to tactics mode, pull your cursor across, and go into it. It's all just a little bit clunky in the way you would yeah. expect it yeah. to sound. Um, and in order, rather than having like a, a hot bar with all your actions there ready to go, you've got two radio menus that are on the triggers. Okay. So on the right trigger is like um, inventory management, character upgrading, character like uh, inf- character sheets, I guess coming from the the tabletop um that ca- that side of stuff is all on the right and then the left are more your actions including quick slots now i was playing predominantly as a fighter class which meant my quick slots for half of the wheel is for spells mm. and i didn't have any spells i could use <laughs> so it's really this really weird thing of um i ended up so the other thing is you pause the game using the plus, so the the start button, if you like, Ooh, on okay. your controller. Yeah. So you flip up and and pause it, and then you, I kind of worked out because it's not explained. It doesn't have to be. It's not the nature of the game to explain this, but there you can actually do quite a lot on that pause screen, the same as you can. I presume it's like spacebar or something to pause it on PC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it grays the screen. Game pause in the middle, and you can highlight characters. You can pull up either of the radio menus, but when you pull up the radio menu itself, it pauses the game anyway. So I ended up like pulling up a radio menu, selecting what I wanted to do. I rarely used the quick item slot even because it was actually just as clunky to go into the inventory menu and pick the item and use it mm-hmm. or pick it up and then tab between the character screens to drop it on someone else's screen. So yeah, with the radio menu, you use L and R shoulder buttons to tab between different characters. It all, it's exactly what I thought it would be and thought would work, but doesn't really all that smoothly. Like Leon, I'm no great shakes in terms of experience with um, CRPG games, but I'd like to think that I understand how that would work and could work quite smoothly. And on the Switch, and I assume, therefore, the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, because it's going to be the same control scheme. Um, it's Yeah, it's all that extra layer of clunky over and above a system that a lot of people would probably find quite clunky 
nowadays anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely weird and, and not necessarily one I'd recommend people going for. If I was playing it again now, it's not even close. I'd be playing it on PC, yeah. especially hearing you talk about the iOS version or the mobile version. The accolades and awards that the game, the original game received at the time when it was only a PC game, uh, RPG of the Year from both GameSpot and Computer Gaming Worlds, Game of the Year, all, all genres, IGN Vault Network, Eurogamer gave it their best male lead character in 2000. I didn't even know they gave that award out mm. at that time. Uh, ended up in the GameSpot Hall of Fame in 2004. And GameSpot's Greatest Games of All Time list in 2005. Quantum Leap Award in 2006. And IGN put it at 71 in their top 100 games of all time in 2007. Ninth in the top 100 games of all time in PC Gamer in 2008. Uh, 188th in the top 200 of all time in Game Informers of all time in Game Informers 2009 list. BitTech's 30 PC games to play before you die in 2009 and PC Gamers' best RPG of all time in 2015. I mean, that's, you know, that's it's that sort of level of yeah. uh, praise that is one of the reasons why we're, we're here talking about it. And it's still beloved among people, at least those peculiar folks who go onto imdb and give their favorite game scores out of 10 but they do that <laughs> and 1800 odd people have done that and it has an average of 9.5 out of 10 on there uh, there may be other sites that do that same kind of user review stuff for crpgs but i'm i, I don't know what they are on moby games it has a a healthy 4.2 out of 5 sales wise well according to chris avalone the game was not a major monetary success it was ultimately profitable though but uh, had estimated lifetime retail sales of around 400,000. Presumably that's gone up a fair amount with the enhanced uh, releases on both PC and console, but uh, that was probably the bulk of it back then. Not nearly as many as the Baldur's Gate games sold. Right, so we've already talked a little about it, uh, the scenario and the setting, the Planescape world. Uh, we are in the city of Sigil. This is from the IMDB synopsis. The only place from which all realities of the Planescape universe can be reached. We are an immortal amnesiac, the nameless one, must, who must recover, uncover his past, a memento style, the mystery of his immortality, as well as who's trying to kill him, is what he wants to find out. Which sounds interesting enough, but actually, I think the... Yeah, the sort of the subtext is somewhat grander. I was going to say, like that synopsis, yeah, although accurate, kind of like really undersells it, doesn't it? Like it, like <laughs> it, it's it's hard to put across how subversive this game seemed at the time. Like we'd all played Baldur's Gate, um, and it was great, and it was really good fun, and you you know you make a character like any you know RPG, um, you know you make a character, give it a name, choose what it looks like, and then you you know you pick a class and. And all that, all that stuff, and then to then go to Planescape Torment, where it's like, no, you're this guy, and he's a fighter, and like you know, you don't, you don't even pick your alignment at the at the start. Nope. Like all that stuff right. happens organically as you go through the game, and yeah. and initially it was like, I was like, what the hell's this? Why do I have to play this weird looking old scar dude? What's <laughs> the? <laughs> of course, later on you realize it's in service of a, a much better story than you know most games. Certainly, uh, you know, better story than, than Baldur's Gate. But yeah, at the time, it just seemed weird, like so weird. 
um, yeah. to have a, a game like this where it's just like, no, this is this is your character, deal with it. And although you get, um, you know, chances to, uh, you know, decide who he is um, later on, the fact that it, it started from this, this, everyone starts at the same point was really unusual at the time. Um, and the and the setting is just unbelievable. Um, like obviously technical limitations of the time, um, you, they don't really show you Sigil in the way that you might like because the the city of Sigil is essentially so it's floating in the air as I understand it in the middle. There's like a giant mm-hmm. spire in the middle of it, so and then infinitely tall, hmm? infinitely tall. I think it says yeah, yeah. So yeah this infinitely tall spire and imagine that, and, and then imagine like a tire. <laughs> floating like a car tire floating around a spire and you're on the inside of the tire and that's where the city's built and it's just this this huge like ring that goes around and everyone just sort of lives on the on the inside of it um yeah. and then yeah and then if that's not enough also it's full of magical portals to all these other worlds that exist each of which are like a, a representation of the different, you know, the nine different, you know, moral alignments that you can have in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's just bizarre, and in, you know, and the city's ruled by the Lady of Pain, who's this woman that no one really knows anything about, other than if you do something that upsets her, she'll punish you for it, and you can't, you shouldn't really talk about her. And it's, <laughs> it's just so many <laughs> weird things about it. Um, it's just yeah. fascinating, and obviously, you know, and as as this city. Um, that exists as you know this sort of crossroads between all these other different realities like the architecture is just all over the place and they yeah, kind of yeah. nail that like it, it definitely looks weird although you know as i say visuals have aged it's 20 years old yeah um, i had a struggle early on with the sort of the murkiness and yeah. the indistinctness of the early areas yeah. Yeah, yeah. but once you've kind of your eyes have started to pass it and obviously i'm playing a slightly higher resolution version than was mm, there at yeah, the time yeah. but we've got different expectations now but as you go through the game um the architecture gets you go to the nicer places and it becomes more distinct i don't think the 20 year old the little uh, cg cutscenes do a yeah. hell of a lot to uh, I mean, yeah they, they've aged worse than the game itself really yeah, yeah, yeah. super super clunky yeah. and sort of badly animated mm-hmm. and very it's still very low res yeah. and blocky <laughs> Um, but yeah, the actual, I got, I got more and more into the look of the game mm. as, as I went on with it. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. There were definitely times where I'm not sure how I would have ever worked out. There was a path in a place that it turned out there was, mm. I just had to click where I wanted to go because I couldn't see yeah. a way through like the warehouse in uh, the lower ward, for example. Yeah. There's a character at a desk that it just happened. I clicked on and then my entire party went all the way around <laughs> the outside of the warehouse. <laughs> In a, a completely invisible path that you just never would have known was there at all. But don't know if the Switch version has the ability, as the PC version mm. does, that when you're looking at the map, you can click on show walkable area. Oh, really? Uh, which highlights it in purple, yeah, purple. so you can I've, see where you can click on. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that in the PC version. I didn't find a way to do it on the Switch, but right. as I say, there was stuff about the Switch version that I was finding out 20 hours into the game, like how to use a quick slot, for example, mm-hmm. how to change mm-hmm. a weapon in the radio menu rather than <laughs> having to go into my inventory and select it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it, yeah, there was all sorts of stuff that I... It, it's possible it's in there. I didn't find it, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, it would have been useful because um, sometimes it's not all that clear but i really like like the way this looked um on the switch screen as well it looks really vibrant and colorful in a way that okay. you wouldn't think a game that is if i was to think predominantly it is browns and grays and grays you, yep 
but it looks colorful with the characters um portraits down the bottom and the colorful um uh, bars there as well but in the game itself there's loads of different shades of all those browns and greys and i know <laughs> yeah. that sounds ridiculous but it actually looks really nice i think um mm. on yeah. on even on a handheld screen uh, of fairly low resolution nice every time you either get to an area that's in the different color palette like um a, uh, one of the mazes that you go to i think is all suddenly green and black yeah. instead of the usual yeah, striking sort of drab colors and you see items that suddenly pop up and they're purple on the screen. It's like, oh, a bit of color. It looks really, <laughs> it stands <laughs> out so yeah. much and kind of brings a lot to, I spent the entire game. I mean, not so much now, but I remember certainly when I played it uh, years and years ago, I spent the whole thing thinking, oh, I'm in like the dump area at the moment. I'm in like the slums of yeah. the, yes. the city. You know, we've had this incredibly lengthy exposition about how all the different planes are the different moral alignments and how obviously then, you know, we're in the kind of not even any of them, mm. but it's supposed to be in a sort of a neutral area. And you think when you start playing the game, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to go around. I'm going to see all of the different planes. And obviously the, the one that's going to be chaotic evil is just going to look like hell, mm. like a mm. Christian sort of hell. But, you know, we'll go to the, the neutral um, neutral good one or the lawful good one, and it will be you know, sort of like a version of heaven. It will all be like nice uh, sort of whites and golds and nice architecture. And one of the kind of sad things is you never actually really get to see any of the mm. the nicer parts yeah. of it. Everything kind of takes place in the yeah. bad section. <laughs> yeah, the, you do get to the nicer part of Sigil with its sort of uh, more ornate floors and buildings, yeah. mm. less, less ramshackle and ruined. But I'm thinking this Planescape world or spin-off from D&D uh, was only around for three years before they started making this game. So it was mm. quite a new 90s thing, mm. the Planescape. Mm. 94 and i'm looking at the both the that 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 cover art with uh, guido uh in makeup on it and the sky is this sort of orangey yellow yeah. but we're also looking at a piece of um, promotional art which has the renders of the party on it and mm. it totally captures the atmosphere i got from the game which is this kind of yeah. washed out pallid look with yeah. mm -hmm. this sort of sickly yellow sky that's actually I, and I wonder if maybe it was a very deliberate attempt to distinguish itself from Baldur's Gate and Fallout. I think, yeah, like what's yeah. what's so fascinating about Torment is that it's so odd that it that like this feels like it should have come after like Baldur's Gate three, you know, as in like we should have had years yes. of like very standard yes. D and D. You know, yeah, computer RPGs, yeah. and then like, right, we need to do something new, guys. Come on, <laughs> and then Torment was sure. Out, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Mm. It's nothing about it is standard is it yeah um no i think that's that's another interesting thing i thought was this came out before the lord of the rings films kind of did mm, high yeah. fantasy in yeah. a way that people kind of became tired of it yeah um and yet right. chris avalon in interviews about this game has said no he wanted to get away from that yeah like 97 when they started this it was mm -hmm. Here's a character who starts off dead. That was something that was different. Mm -hmm. We don't want doors. We don't want elves. We don't want the usual stuff and the usual look and the usual feel. The Planescape universe kind of helped achieve that because obviously you've got the different planes and each one can have a distinct look and can just be not anything, but, you know, it allows that freedom. And I think they did a really good job of that. And, yeah, to say that this setting and kind of um scenario could be so rote but never felt like it at all mm. and i guess this is a time before amnesiac protagonists kind of became overdone 
maybe yeah. to a certain extent. I think several people would agree with that uh, perspective nowadays. I'm not mm. sure 20 years ago that was the case. Maybe that helps, mm. you know. So I think it it was nice to see that this game kind of jumped the gun on not responding after something had become tired. It responded before it got to that stage, or at least it felt that way. Aesthetically, it reminds me as much as anything of uh, Soul Reaver Legacy yeah. of Kane. Yeah. There's sure. a look at that yeah, about yeah. it. Similar, very similar time. I think that was 99 as well, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? We covered that game a while back. Um, yeah, so to talk about the writing, I think we may as well start talking about the characters um, because although they exist in visual form and audio, we'll talk about the casting as well and the performances. There is uh, This game was praised for its audio at the time in terms of its uh, interactive ambient audio where the, the, the sounds of the city fade in and out as you get nearer to things. That was, you know, a bit of a, um, you know... Uh, what's the word, a sort of innovation mm. for this kind of a game at the time. Um, but yeah, so I think one of the reasons, if there's if there's one thing I think makes games more beloved than anything, even if the writing, like the storytelling is good, I think characters are what people really, really attach themselves to. If you look at the success of stuff like Undertale in recent years, it always comes back to those those characters. And I think here, when I when I've looked into people talking excitedly about their memories of Planescape, it, it comes as much as anything about um, not so much the nameless one, although I think people liked him and he won that Eurogamer award, but it's the supporting cast of characters that you meet along the way. Uh, you've got Morty, Morty or Morte, who you uh, meet immediately. He's voiced by Rob Paulson, who's a, a you know, legendary cartoon voice actor for uh, Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain and stuff like that. You've got Jennifer Hale, as uh, Fall from Grace, and also Dayanara, who mm. is a spirit character from uh, one of the Nameless One's many former lives, a very important figure. You've even got former popstress and uh, prince um, <laughs> muse, Sheena Easton, as Anna of the Shadows, who is a sort of uh, a feisty Scottish uh, <laughs> uh, thief girl with a tail. Um, and yeah, there, so there's a sort of interesting mixture of what you might call stunt casting, but also, you know, classic voice actor casting. Mm. You've got Keith David in there and Dan Castellaneta. <laughs> Castellaneta. Um, Tony J as well. And yeah, yeah, Tony J. Not that um, No. Um, and yeah, so, well, what are, your, what are your thoughts and memories of the characters, the writing of the characters and the performances of the characters? Um, I remember being incredibly impressed with it back in the early 2000s because I think at that point it didn't, feel like i'd played lots of games where you had multiple different characters and you could chat to each of them separately and hear about backstory and they'd talk to each other and they'd you build you know relationships but not sort of relationships in a mass effect style way with them um and they all had different opinions about each other and they'd have little lines of dialogue occasionally it's quite funny when you're just running across an area and suddenly the dialogue box yeah. will just pop up and it will be um, one of the other ones, like admonishing Mort for being a pervert, <laughs> like uh, Anna t telling him to stop looking up her dress or something. You think well, it seems a little bit pointless that that's just popped up on the screen, sort of gets in the way a little bit. But on the other hand, I guess you know character building more important than yeah, you know than sort of what uh, a lot of other games had done at the time. I think it's it's something that now you do see a huge amount of in very similar RPGs, I and mean, they've mentioned Mass Effect and. Yeah, Dragon, Dragon Age, Age goes sure. yeah. nuts with it. Even the Elder Scrolls games, they like trying to give you named protagonists with like a little bit of, uh, or sorry, named um, companions with a yeah. little bit of 
sort of storyline to them and you can talk to people and you know what's a game now where you can't end up having a sexual relationship with one of your companions <laughs> i mean i'm pretty damn glad they didn't go that far here no I mean, they really although... didn't so, well you can you can end up, have a romance with, with, with is it just with things. anna or can you have one with grace i'm not sure um, I think I got stuck between the pair of them a little okay. bit. I've oh, been like very um, sort of non-committal to any sort of romantic aspect. I didn't even really realise it was there. Yeah. And then there's the scene about two-thirds of the way through the game where you're talking to uh, another very important NPC. And she take in my game, she took on the form of Fall from Grace yeah. and sort of... I mean, she's previously grilled you about what your relationships with all the, your party members are and basically said, why do you think they're following you? You know, why are these people invested in you? There must be more to it. And it, it kicks off a second round of questioning from you to go and talk to everybody mm-hmm. and ask them a bit more about their backstory and you find out quite a lot of extra pieces about mm-hmm. them. But in my game, she also tried to imply that my character might have been interested in Grace okay. and yep. she took Grace's form and almost kind of dares you to sort of lean in and kiss mm-hmm. her. And I did that, and I think it didn't really seem to have any effect on Grace at all. But the next time I went and talked to Anna, she sounded kind of jealous and put out, and I put the question in a little bit more firmly, and she sort of did a weird thing of leaning in and saying something about how the smell of... um formaldehyde or something on my body really turned her on <laughs> mm. and and then she started coming on and sort of making advances on the character and i was like i don't really know what to do about this this doesn't seem like it doesn't really seem like it fits in with the um yeah because yeah, anything the, that the game wants you to yeah, do and, you're not going to get to a point where before you go on the last mission you have sex with the character that you had the best relationship with i think it just sort of affects their Overall, they have a morale stat that's hidden behind the scenes yeah. that affects various things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe this is me being really superficial. But yeah, as an adult, I now feel really weird about anyone finding the nameless one attractive because he's gross. Like, I mean, he is just a stitched <laughs> yeah. up corpse, isn't he? And as he? you say, like, yeah, you know, Anna does this this whole, like, as I remember it, sort of quite convincingly written bit where she's like, you are gross, but I really like you. Um, yeah, charisma goes a long yeah. way. Yeah. Um, mm. But then she's a tiefling, and tieflings are what, like half True. demons? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, with sort of a, a chaotic alignment. And I think my character had just slowly turned chaotic. Mm. So I was just like, yeah, yeah. go on then. No kink you want to shaming. Lean in, in fact, it's not even my a kink. Neck <laughs> and do it. I don't care. The other aspect of this that I think plays in very heavily, but is also incredibly easy to not realize, is that. There are so many conversations that you can have with people where if you press for more information or you continue asking questions, you end up uh, being rewarded for it most of the time just with sort of an XP bump. Mm-hmm. And with uh, if you do the same with a lot of your characters, um, later on you find out more about their backstory and then they get bonuses more in particular mm-hmm. uh, after I sort of uncovered more about his backstory after learning things from the other characters. Uh, got a huge stat bonus. I think you got sort of plus two strength and plus four charisma or constitution yeah, yeah. or something and another thing. And then there's the this other aspect where there's numerous conversations in it. Uh, the best example is the one with Ravel, um, where if most of the time when you're talking to her, 
there'll be an option, an answer to one of her questions where you're essentially you kind of you fawn over her. And the the way that it's written out when you click on it, they look like I mean, when you read it, it looks so sort of patronizing and sarcastic, but she takes it all in. And then at the very end of the conversation with her, uh, depending on how many times you've been nice to her or flattered her, you get more XP and a permanent bonus to one of your stats. I think it's to wisdom or intelligence at the end of it. So there's all these things going on in so much of the dialogue where the more kind of curious and the the more you fall along a certain line, the more the game's going to reward you for it. And although I didn't break it down to the extent that I min-maxed it, I did look a little ahead when I was playing this game. Like I didn't use a guide to get through every step of the way, but I had a little sort of poke around so I didn't get stymied in any way. Also, keep loads of rolling saves in this game or whatever you format, <laughs> uh, whatever format you play it on. But uh, this is a game where if you bump up your uh, the correct stats, your in- intelligence and wisdom and charisma and things, you'll get more dialogue options. Yeah. And in fact, you can effectively like this is there is a lot of text in this game it is in some ways an interactive novel fiction it obviously there is gameplay and you can certainly as i did end up uh underpowered in the ways of clicking on things fighting um in, in the crpg style but i did manage to complete the game and in fact the final encounter with the transcendent one at the end was a conversation mm. for me that's how that's how i did okay. it because i could yeah there, there there had to be no he could he would have just destroyed yeah, me in a fight sure. so it had <laughs> to be a, so it so it had to be a conversation and i love the fact that the game is that flexible mm-hmm. but it did also mean that i spent a lot of time uh zigzagging around dungeons yeah. avoiding combat yeah. and of course the more you do that the more you have to do it so yeah yeah no um so another thing that i i ended up doing and it have to but about I guess somewhere between five and ten hours into this game, I actually ended up restarting it because I was having such <laughs> a difficult time with any yeah. combat because I'd started off playing, as I often do in RPGs like this, where I think there's a flexibility there. I had max stats on wisdom, max stats on charisma, and then a bit of intelligence, thinking that will give me the most options to enjoy the dialogue, and that's absolutely true because in the mortuary you start in, I played through like that, and I talked my way through that Got gathered up everything in there, did everything, didn't have to fight anyone in the mortuary, mm-hmm. and left, and then ran into these problems where it it was just pushing me all the time to have to run away from combat, and I was dying quite a bit where I didn't manage successfully to do that. Um, so I restarted and decided, okay, I want high wisdom because that gives an XP boost, um, and more XP means you know, more leveling up, so that made sense. Yeah, it's an, it's and an then, investment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always the take the XP boost yeah. option early on and yeah, it'll yeah. pay off. Um, and then I actually dumped most of my other points into strength, thinking, okay, I won't have high constitution, but at least I'll be dealing damage. Mm. And suddenly in the mortuary, when I restarted the game, I was talking to some of the dustmen and they just immediately disregarded what I had to say and started fighting me. Mm. And it's yeah. very clear early on, there were options there i couldn't tell them my name was adan which is a lie but nonetheless i had that option when i had charisma yeah it's a lie he tells a lot yeah but but i didn't in the start of the game because i didn't have the charisma to tell it and and i was looking at like well where did i find out that i could tell people my name was adan have i missed something and the answer is Mm -hmm. no i just didn't have the charisma Mm -hmm. um and and likewise i would 
Told you, charisma goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, getting later in the game, I regretted more and more. I was dumping points into charisma every time I leveled up, but that's a, quite a slow process. Um, whereas mm. at the start, you get like 20-odd points to put into whatever you want. Um, and I kind of regretted having restarted it, even though I know why I did. It's just one of those and weird I things. I think deliberately, although there are there are a few mobs around the city, for instance, and in some of the dungeons that will regenerate, mm. They're not worth very much XP, so you would have to, if you wanted to grind this game for power, it would. I think it, it's a non-starter because the the number of XP that you're getting for completing quests in the late game is so far above and beyond what you get yeah, for killing yeah. any monster. Yeah. I think that's a deliberate waiting in in towards the, you know, the smarter options, as it were, rather than the clicking on things until they die. I think that was that was yeah. definitely a thing you heard a lot. Um, you know, back when this first came out, and, and it was you get more experience yeah. from talking to people than fighting monsters, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which again at the time yeah. was hugely subversive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. I think that it, I do find it weird in that, like playing, it, it didn't bother me at the time, but playing it now, it yeah, it does does as James was saying, feels like there's very much this sort of conflict between the way they would like you to have played the game versus <laughs> the realities of making a Dungeons and Dragons themed computer RPG in that mm. like it, it in hindsight and again this is you know after playing like Disco Elysium and stuff it's like man I'd love a game of uh, a version of Planescape that just had no combat in it <laughs> I and no. I don't know if that's yeah it's like they they put in so many options to avoid combat but not completely <laughs> And therefore, yeah. as you say, then you yeah. run into this issue where you can be like, well, I'm Absolutely. going to be an intelligent character, so it's fine. Whereas actually, you do still have to do the occasional fight, and it's really frustrating because you're not spec'd yeah. for it. Um, mm. And especially, as you say, that you know, you can just, as you're walking around Sigil, you just randomly get attacked by thugs. And mm. it's really irritating, especially like now, especially because um, it just mm. seems so unnecessary. And, you know, and as I say, you get almost no experience points for it. Um, yeah. And whose idea Rubbish was loot. it for enemies to start running away when they're nearly dead? I mean, it oh. probably seemed like a really clever bit of AI in 1999. It's kind of but... cool, but it's also really annoying. Yeah, um... yeah. I, I ended up, I mean, one of my sort of most uh, common experiences mm. with this game, which which probably wasn't the most enjoyable, mm. was, well, it, it, it sort of was in that it was tense, <laughs> um, but it was the picking my way through dungeons and trying to reveal there's we should say we haven't said there's a kind of fog of war everywhere in this game and mobs won't necessarily activate uh unless uh, they they need to be a certain you know they they have i think they have some kind of rudimentary perception and awareness and whatever else Mm -hmm. they won't necessarily activate even when they first come on the screen although some of them will depending if, if they're in an alert state or whatever anyway picking my way through dungeons by clicking a few pixels forward at a time mm. to reveal the next mob or, mm. or pair of mobs and then kiting them back half yeah. a screen <laughs> to to make sure that I was only fighting them at a time because I was so, you know, piss weak mm. um, for fighting. Yeah. But it was kind of exciting, the fact... But yes, it was... A, in the end, there are these sections where, as Sean says, there are monsters, 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 dungeons full of monsters... Mm guards and whatever and you end up you have to kill like most of them you can zigzag through a certain amount resident evil speedrun style but some of them will be in the way and you do have to do yeah. a certain amount of toing and froing mm. but so, if you've got a party together 
you know, yeah, they can true. usually take out one or two guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially when your party's almost invariably going to have relatively different characters involved in it. You have a, a sort of a priest healer um, who also has some attack damage. You have a very strong attack damage mage. Mm. You have the, the thief character who's quite good damage. If you picked them all up, of course. And, well, I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's the thing. You don't necessarily get them all. You're only, what, only guaranteed to get a couple? Yeah, I know. I never got Ignis, um, so I fight He's, for yeah. Ignis at the end of the game. Um, but and you were like, who's this? Yeah, I had Valon, uh, Valor, sorry, the Keith David character, who's a relatively late yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. addition. Yeah, he's like three quarters, four fifths yeah. of the way through the game. Yeah. But yeah, two or three of them are, it would be very easy to just completely Absolutely. miss them. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, so. and especially because in most cases, you have to ask them if they want to join you. So you can, yeah. you can um, deliberately avoid getting them. As, as Leon mm-hmm. said, people play through not getting companions. I assume... Are they more likely to turn you down if your charisma's low or your whatever as well? I'm trying to I know that they can desert you if, yeah. you if, if they're yeah. unhappy with you. So you can lose people Cause isn't, if um, they're, they're morale. Yeah, because Valor is so rigidly lawful good, isn't he? Justice. Yeah, isn't he yeah. Very, he's yeah. very easy to upset, isn't he, I think? But I'm pretty uh, sure... He will attack you at your first meeting That's with him if right. you say various things in, as part of the conversation. And in fact, I yep. got to him Did a reload. and I had my full party and I was like, oh, do I really want to lose any of these <laughs> yeah, people? Yeah. So I got the I got the bonuses for speaking to him and bringing him into my party and then um, just told him to go yeah. and stand in the corner and left him behind. Because <laughs> well, I Ooh. believe at that point, yeah, if you let go of any of your party there, you can't go back there after you've left. So... You oh, so that's leave it. them permanently, yeah. yeah so right. you have to pick did one. did anyone? Sorry, did anyone sell a member of their party into slavery to complete one of those side? No. Quests? Where was no. that? I'm not sure. I remember that. Uh, but- you actually have to sell sell them into uh, servitude at the curiosity shop. Okay. Oh wow! Okay. And yeah, um, but I never. I didn't even. I didn't yeah, want to risk it and then reload a save if it was if it was permanent. The, because the the shop assistant there basically won't talk to you because they're worried about um, yeah. the shop owner. Yeah, there's a quest line which takes you to potentially unlocking some. I can't remember what it is because I, I decided I didn't really want to do it. But there is a quest that you can be, and presumably the rewards are quite substantial if you yeah. basically, yeah sell one of your people into servitude and also morte you do lose morte mm-hmm. but you have to taken away yeah you can't you have to go through quite a rigmarole to get him back if you don't like him enough which i, I think most you know he's the comic relief he's he's the new york cabbie sidekick of of this game um i'm sure most people do want to get him back mm-hmm. he attacks things by biting them and you, you can equip, equip him. him with teeth yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> brilliant when i realized that i'd got some teeth there and i was like hang on this is showing yeah. up a nice purple ring around where I can equip them. That was just brilliant. Yeah. And they level up yeah. as well. Yeah. And just his little, his portrait at the bottom where occasionally his jaw falls off and he just, yeah. and just grabs it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, he was excellent. I really yeah, liked him. Yeah, he's great. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to have lost any of the no. party members mm. I had. The, the other place you can not lose but voluntarily give up a party member is Pillar of Skulls. It will ask you to sacrifice oh, yeah, a party right. member. Mm. And it's like four or five of the party, I think, or certainly three or four of them. Uh, it will ask for uh, Mort, obviously, primarily because that's where he came from. Um, but mm. he, it asks for Anna. It asks for Fall from Grace, um, mm-hmm. and it asks you to also give up uh, Fork Tongue, um, the location. And you can either yes, lie. It it, so if you didn't have enough charisma 
you might kind of be faced with not getting what you need from Pillar of Skulls or having to give up a character, I guess. Mm. This is also a game where, because it's from 20 years ago and it's a CRPG, it doesn't really hold your hand and Mm. it doesn't shepherd you in the sense that this is a game where you could just drop a really important item on a screen somewhere and forget where you put it. You could, you know, put it in a bin or something and that's it. You would never see it again. There are a few items that your characters simply will not put down. Dacon's sword and uh, Fall from Grace's bodice, <laughs> for instance. She won't un- unequip that. But uh, yeah, this is, I, as well as forcing yourself self down a difficult path of not being strong enough, you could actually just, you could get across half the game world and find that some really crucial item is actually back in the initial location or something like that. I think the, it's just these, the stinking orb you get from, is it from Farad, um, which you can get uh-huh. early on, and I carry yeah. it throughout the game, not really knowing why, just, you know, what, and then it turns yeah. out that contains all of your lost memories, doesn't it? And yes, you get, there yeah, you yeah. go, yeah. You which is worth the, a lot of XP. Room before the final yeah. boss, so literally through yeah. the entire game. And then, yeah, I used that there. And at that point, I think my character had like 1.9 million XP. I was going to say, well, I think you that get thing 2 gave million. me another for... 2 million on yeah. top. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, got, I went from like level 14 to level 28 or something like <laughs> yeah. that. There's also some items like your own eyeball and intestines yeah, and, that and you've removed you in various. Pick up. Yeah. 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 They all seemed important, though. I'd never wanted to drop anything. <laughs> so, I, just, I loaded up like Mort and Dacon totally, and, yeah. and eventually Anna. That's just the main reason everything. for having other characters yeah. is to like, mule. mule. <laughs> Dacon went into the fortress with the mortuary keys yeah. from the beginning yeah. of the game. I didn't want to lose anything just in case it was that important. I'm glad I didn't yeah. when it then came to the egg. And the, the other really big one is when you speak to that golem or golem in the siege tower, you can ask him, I presume you've got to have a certain amount of intelligence or wisdom or have spoken to somebody else about something. You can ask him if he can make you a weapon that yes. will kill you, mm-hmm. and he does. And if you carry that through to the end of the game, that becomes quite a key component in talking to the Transcendent mm-hmm. One, and there's two of the endings that you can uh, you can force by using the blade. Either you can kill yourself or you can threaten him to force him to um merge with you and i think there's there's other ways you can make him merge with you as other intelligence and um wisdom yep. checks and other yes. things that you can have learned that's to do. what so, i did yeah. but yeah that blade ends up being an easy way to to do either of those two endings but again another another clear sign of the flexibility of the game as well so um i would say there are concessions to some of what you said leon in that you can put down a lot of stuff uh, if you put it on the ground, it might disappear, but if you put it in a container, it's going to stay. So you can yeah, yeah. use any random barrel to store stuff. You have to remember that you put y- stuff there. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's my point. Yeah. But yeah. the other thing is, so if a companion dies, they drop everything they're holding apart from those items they can't drop. And apart from, like, when yeah. I said my characters dropped a bunch of stuff, like one of them had the bronze... Uh, Anna had all my keys. She kept all of them. <laughs> yeah, um, all your healing items. Perhaps, Mort, something Mort like that. had all yeah. of the what seemed like quest important items. So the bronze sphere, yeah. a bunch of books and stuff like that, and scrolls or whatever. Yeah. They mm. kept them. They dropped a lot of the consumable items and weapons. They were oh, all okay. Stuff, but they 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 don't automatically drop 
anything that might right. be a quest important item. Okay. I don't. Mm. There, there must be a list somewhere of things that are not auto dropped. And you can gain the ability to, you know, phoenix down yeah. your party later. There are spells to resurrect, so it's not necessarily death is not necessary, but it might be the end. Uh, I, I got the ability to resurrect party members from. Yeah. Like room two of the game. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, you can get yeah, that really early on. Dianara oh, okay. gave me that ability from talking to her, and yeah, mm. like the the mortuary, or the second floor of the mortuary, or whatever it is. Yeah, it's one of those games though where it can, I know you can you know do the pause yeah. and chain spell things, but it can actually be hard to use that in the middle of, middle of combat sure. because yeah. the combat can be quite for a, for a dice roll based mm. thing. Yeah. You know, the first time I came across this system was not Bioware's Knights of the Old Republic, which actually, I think it actually said on the back of the box Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> You know, advanced D and D combat system, yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then again in in Dragon Age, so yeah. it's still yeah, it's like although I've known it for a long time, it's still a bit um, antithetical to sort of how I'm used to playing yeah, games. Sure, but yeah. there there is yeah. still that possibility that it can all get away from you very yeah. quickly, and you keep getting interrupted from doing spells <laughs> as combat's yeah, going sure. on. And it's it's all a bit. I found it you know at times unclear as to what was actually happening you, i think you can probably slow it all down and read the text as it comes up but and becomes rather a slower more tactical thing but if you play it at full pace it, it's it a lot can be overwhelming like, yeah yeah boom yeah. yeah it's over yeah you also mentioned to me john and again this is an area where obviously if i'd spent more time and concentrated harder and read more text boxes i'd have worked it out and, and engaged with it there's a way of plussing all your weapons extensively which i just did not do which must have helped mm -hmm. enormously uh, it did apart from the fact that uh, the game makes almost no beans about the fact that what you are doing is spending stat points that you have a very limited pool of right. and instead you meet this guy very very <laughs> early who says i can train you in weapons which weapon would you like to learn and you just oh, go down please. the list because i think you must <laughs> you must start off with enough points to upgrade everything so you're like oh i'd like i'd like my fists to be better i'd like my edged blades to be better i'd like my hammers to be better and then you realize like i did about 20 hours in that what you've done is you've spent these incredibly hard to come by points on a set of weapons that you are never <laughs> going to use and then consequently yeah. the one weapon that you do end up using you will never get it up to its its full yeah. power because you just don't have the don't have the number of points okay. coming to you to I do so. I feel less bad now. We should talk uh, a bit more about the the overarching story. Mm. We'll kick off with uh, Mark in the House of Wood, who sent us this piece of forum correspondence. About five years ago, I googled best video game lines ever written. Probably just one of those needs to check off I'd done the greats. And there it was, crammed between G-Man's Half-Life 2 narration and most of The Last of Us. The story of a man waking up with no memory next to a woman declaring he had a single wish left. It stuck with me for four years in between reading that and finally getting my hands on a working copy of Planescape Torment and play my way through this adventure. I'd grown up with the old PC Baldur's Gate series, so the combat was nothing unfamiliar, if a little clunky. But I wasn't here for the gameplay. The characters, while each unique and brilliant in their own ways, weren't my focus either. What kept me coming back was you, the nameless one, and how refreshing it was to play an RPG where you weren't the nameless godchild here to save all mankind or submit them to your evil. Kill the bad guy, save the world, become them, this wasn't. Here you were driven to find out what kept bringing you back from the dead and to answer that eternal, impossibly human question, what can change the nature of a man? It was the little touches I loved, 
the fact your morality is predetermined but is chosen organically with your choices. That realisation that all your companions were bound to you by trickery from a person you used to be and had the potential to be even worse than. Those little moments in the dialogue, don't trust the skull. And then we get to the end, where you face your uncaring and unchanging morality on every possible level. It's murdered your, all your companions. You can fight it and finish the game, like any other, with a difficult boss fight that will test all your skills. Or you can answer that question which has plagued you the whole game. As a player, I know this should feel very mechanic-based, but having so many points in wisdom, intelligence, I can talk my way out of the game. And yet there's something about the answer that moves me to my core as a human being. If there is anything I have learned in my travels across the plains, it is that many things may change the nature of a man, whether regret or love or revenge or fear. Whatever you believe can change the nature of a man, can. I've seen belief move cities, make men stave off death and turn an evil hag's heart half circle. This entire fortress has been constructed from belief. Belief damned a woman whose heart clung to the hope that another loved her when he did not. Once it made a man seek immortality and achieve it, and it has made a posturing spirit think it is something more than a part of me. As someone with a lot of self-doubt, it spurred me on when things can feel too much. There's a lot of comfort to be taken in it. That no matter how much we can lose our way, what we believe can change who we are into who we deserve to be. Yeah, so... It does come down to, I mean, you could, you know, you could be really reductive about it and say that actually in the end it comes down to an almost Mass Effect 3 style of three choices. <laughs> but there's way more, uh, there's way more detail and, and um, nuance to it than that based on your path through the yeah. game and stats you've got. And also, yeah, your, your feeling and attachment to the events that have gone on. The short version is, yeah, without kind of, you know, this is a 40 hour plus game you have been here before many times and different versions of you with different um, mindsets and modus operandi have effectively laid a kind of trail for your future self to try to solve the mystery of why you keep coming back um, and what, yeah, what the desire is that forces you and, and why this particular version of you has des the desire to potentially not keep coming back. Yeah, I think it's one thing it does really nicely is like, like obviously yeah, so you wake up and yeah you've got no memories and you you learn that you're immortal and you're like okay you know not, not typical fantasy stuff but I, I get it and then i forget who it is it's just like you can just be walking around sigil and i think does someone like stop you in the street and they hate you they absolutely hate you and you're like oh my yeah. god i've been doing things for <laughs> hundreds of years at least um yeah. and i yeah like depending on who i'm talking to i have got reputations and past events that are coloring people's perceptions of me that i have no knowledge of and yeah that just wrong-footed me brilliantly i thought that was absolutely fascinating and then obviously you know your relationships with some of your companions turns out some of them have known yeah. you quite a long time um mm. and, and and like as a result that you know like so mort for example doesn't necessarily so yeah so famously he omits that that line about don't trust the skull which is carved onto your back or whatever um yeah and you find out about it and you're like more you know what the hell like <laughs> yeah and he's like you don't understand every time you woke up you could be horrible sometimes and or <laughs> you know like every time it was like a, a different person so 
you, like you realize how oh yeah okay so more deceived you or you know was economical with the truth whatever but actually he was quite vulnerable in that moment because he didn't know what you were going to be like this time yeah. and that's yeah it's fascinating yeah the, the don't trust the skull i i've heard i've read a suggestion somewhere that that doesn't even actually necessarily relate to more but i kind of like mm. the idea that almost mm. without spoiling anything memento style mm. you can have tattooed anything onto yourself yeah yeah and maybe yeah in the heat of the moment when you were being awful and vindictive towards Mort and he didn't respond in the way you wanted him to you decided to just tattoo don't trust the skull on your back <laughs> you know it's just like how how and it's very clear by the end of the game how much your previous selves are messing with you yeah. they are setting you up to do what they want not what you want and not what maybe you set out to do in the first place as the the first incarnation. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the way it plays with reincarnation of an individual, but also in the minute scale plays with a character who's immortal. You're just standing talking to someone and they'll just say, I don't believe you can die, and you'll just kill yourself there. You snap your own neck yeah. uh, and wake back up just because that's an interesting story beat to be able to play with death in a video game in a, in a way that, games often don't reflect the fact that mm. we have these many lives uh, and respawns, etc., to, to kind of play with. Yeah, to take that and, and make it part of the narrative. And as you say, it's almost encouraging you to play around with it. But then, mm. you know, much later on, you find out that there is actually a cost to sure. the world. Yeah. Um, you know, the entire game, these, these sort of shadowy spirits have been stalking you and, and trying to kill you. And it turns out, isn't it basically every time you should have died and then came back to life, the world like the the planes can't operate unless something yeah, there's dies. A, there's a check ba- check and balance, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. someone else has to die basically, and it will just randomly snuff people out for all the deaths that you should have had. There's um, a, there's a hint that it might be someone who's closer to you than not as well, though. I think. Oh really? One okay. Dialogue that. line that said that that it may be someone who's close to you who who dies potentially. Yeah. yeah. Um. Which there's been plenty of. We see a fraction of the people that have been companions in the past, I suppose. Yeah, um, um, and yeah. The, I mean the whole the whole thing with Dakon as well, and that you so he, yeah. you know when you meet yeah. him and he's like, oh, "I'll travel with you," and you're like, "Okay, he's got a cool sword." Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the whole thing about you know Dakon's people, the Githari, and their whole deal of you know they live in this uh, limbo where everything's just you know chaos matter, and they can yeah. you know shape it with their minds. So you know, focus and discipline is is prized among uh, you know above all things, and mm-hmm. like that that's all fascinating. And then you know you learn that he has this little, this little almost sort of Simon Says looking puzzle thing. Um, uh, is it yeah the, the circle of Zerth and Mom, circle, which is, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. basically his. It's like a puzzle, but also his religious text. And if I remember right, it turns out that one of your incredibly horrible previous incarnations made all that up to basically enslave. Um, Dakon, is that right? Does anyone else get this? Yeah, yeah, I, I've read stuff about that, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't do anything with the circle because I wasn't a mage character, so I ah, wasn't okay. able to unlock stuff. So. Ah, I broke it all apart. Yeah, yeah, but yes, yeah. <laughs> it's got a lot of um, doctrine in there, mm. but, um, but yeah, I think the yeah the idea is it's um, yeah, there's this kind of um, it's a, there's a satire on um, on religion. Well, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think sort of between that and as well, you know, so Dianara. Um, this this spirit, um, this you know this ghost um, that's you know sort of totally devoted to you. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, so she helps you out, doesn't she? She gets you out of uh, it's a trap of some sort. I forget that you you end up getting put in, and she she's able to to help pull you out. And then when you meet uh, what it calls the practical incarnation of you, which is obviously the the evil one. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's reductive. They, you know, they call it the practical incarnation for a reason. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, you find out that he's the one who essentially created Dianara. He made her fall completely in love with him because he knew that if he then um, got her killed, that like her love for him was so strong that it would anchor her spirit to him, and, and she would um, be a tool that he could uh, yeah, make and, use of. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of does this thing of you know, obviously, you, you know, you have dialogue options like that's horrible. Why on earth would you do that? And he's like, well, she was useful, wasn't she? And yeah, and the answer is yes, but it doesn't feel like this like aha, this you know, this gotcha moment of like, guess what? Evil sometimes has a point. It's yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't come it's across horrifying. like that. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's, you're just supposed to be uncomfortable with it, and that's yeah. that's that. You know, especially off the back of the the since the in this. Uh, private sensation emporium thing yes. one of the memories there is you see yourself from her perspective oh my god yes and it it's horrifying to see mm. how much she loves you and then when you work out you did that to her yeah it, yeah and, and the fact that you, like when you when you relive that memory like it doesn't matter what sort of character you're playing as it completely yeah. crushes you like yeah. you're just a wreck after after experiencing yeah. mm. that yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the yeah, all those yeah, the, those crystals with all the the, the memories trapped inside them. Mm. I mean, they're all fascinating, aren't they? There's like there's a whole set of them that are like standard ones, and they're just yeah. cool little bits of of you know fiction. Um, mm. And then yeah, there's those three at the top, isn't there? Which are are they yeah, all yeah. you? I can't remember. Is it or is it implied that they? Yeah, are? one of yeah. them's Ra- Ravel, one of them's Dianara, and the That's other right. one is I forget. But yeah, they're they're all like, and you find out later they were laid there for you to find. Right. Um, yeah. 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 They were. They were. And uh, the one with Ravel was a trap that yes. you weren't supposed to get out of. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's her torturing you, basically, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, Sorry, I mean that describes the entire game. Yeah. Quite well. <laughs> I didn't quite, and this is probably me missing something obvious or being obtuse, but the. The piece where he does meet up with sort of, I don't know, are they meant to be you know, projections of his past selves? And mm. it's, the, yeah, it's yeah. the good, the practical and the paranoid. Yeah. Um, why was it particularly those three? I suppose I thought if, I mean, it was interesting, but I wondered if um, there should, I don't know. I, obviously, you couldn't have had an infinite amount, but yeah. I think the idea is that there were actually a lot more. But these three in particular were the ones that presented him, themselves to the nameless one and they were the ones who particularly laid this trail and, yeah. and set of traps yeah. and stuff what uh, there's a specific yeah, line guess... of dialogue uh, where you ask mm. that of the good incarnation mm-hmm. um before yeah. you work out that he's the first incarnation um you can ask why only three given so many have yes. existed previously and, right. and what is special about those three and and his answer is basically I don't know, and obviously it's a narrative yeah. reason for yeah you can't have a thousand conversations. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, sure. The idea is yeah these three have more to pass on to you than others did. Right. Uh, they have more to impart upon you. So whenever you succumb to the memory is almost always the line when you get that creeping sensation around the back of your skull. Mm. That's one of them imparting some information via their memories yeah. onto you, um, right. and so they are the three that 
had memories to pass on that were pertinent and useful. But, you know. And in terms of the endings that are on offer or uh, the, the, the ones that you can, quote, choose, mm. is the whole point here that you've effectively railroaded yourself into a, like, do you really have that much of a choice when it comes down to it because of the way you've played the 38 hours or whatever up to that point? As in, for me, I could only really consider getting an actual ending to the game, a canonical ending, by playing into the stats that I'd boosted yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So I was I was not going to be able to choose the ending that involved me beating mm. the final boss mm. and, quote, winning and you know kind of vanquishing the 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 evil incarnation of all my ill doings um so i had to take the punishment the ending where you effectively have to go to war with an inf army of infinite demons or whatever mm. because i deserved it i deserved to because I, you know i'd merged with this thing and effectively become you know effectively taken on board the 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 sort of the nastiness that i'd wrought you yeah. know the, yeah. the chains i'd formed yeah yeah there's, a, there's an almost life. yeah you know you, you've been spending the whole game trying to figure out why you can't die and when you you know you find out that it is is having this this terrible cost to you know the, the world and yeah so to merge with your your mortality and then to take off to, to fight in the, the blood war it's almost like a cheerful like brilliant let's go and die finally like it's <laughs> you know yeah um yeah. and it's but and the, and it's not like that sounds really grim and it's and it's not it's it's what he's not necessarily what he's wanted but he knows is like that by that point it's the right thing Fully to do accepting yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we should mention mark morgan's music uh, the composer mm. for fallout as well and fallout 2 uh, among other things descent 2 zork nemesis uh, wasteland 2 he came back for which is the sort of the modern crpg style spiritual successor that series to uh, follow up to the fallout games um there, for me, uh, the piece that you hear the most in Sigil or Sigil um, got a little bit old because yeah. you hear it a lot. Yeah. Um, but there are some really nice pieces in there, I think. Um, and yeah, and also just the general sound design, the ambient audio of the game. Although it sound like it, some of it sounds a bit uh, obvious and repetitive now, um, you can see what they were going mm. for. There's some nice. Um, it's the audio equivalent of flavor text. The uh, the sort of the banter of the the shouting of the merchants. Yeah, and background the, sort of bustle. Uh, the bustle. the yeah, prostitutes really nice. calling out to you and all that. Mm. So yeah, good. I, I I think the audio is pretty strong, and it's again because you feel that sort of slight removal from the game world because it's this quite distant, top down view. I think the audio is quite important at, at helping pull you in. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the soundtrack is. You can tell that, like, you know, they couldn't afford a lot of real instruments. I think it's it's the sort of thing that would be yeah, less noticeable yeah. now because synthesizers, you know, much more mm. um, sophisticated. Um, it does stick out a little bit here, but I mean, yeah, you know, um, it's yeah. Again, it's trying not to just be typical, like, oh, well, let's just you know do a load of orchestral stuff and that'll be fine because it's a fantasy game. It tries to go a bit bit further uses quite a lot some nice mood yeah pieces. you know yeah. a few a few synths in there like you know like mm -hmm. obvious synths not not guitar. pretending to be instrument synths you know um yes. and again that speaks to the fact that yes it's a fantasy setting but occasionally that you know like you know the modrons and stuff there there is sort of almost sci-fi elements chucked in um so yeah i think it's it's although it hasn't aged 
brilliantly in some ways. I think it's it's interesting how it represents what the game is doing. Uh, the point that I found it slightly jarring was uh, during area transitions where you go from generally an outside mm. space where there's the quite um, sort of moody atmospheric music. There are a couple of spots that you could go into. One of them was the... I can't remember what it's called, the hall where all the sensates hang out. It's the oh, gathering yeah. hall or mm-hmm. the channeling hall or something. Mm-hmm. And the minute you go in there, it starts blasting. This, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's really loud, really overwhelming. And that, from coming in from the outside, that was something it always stuck in my head. I always giggled as I went through the entrance. Like, yeah, here we go. And it continues when you pause the game yeah, or yeah. go into the um, the options menu or something. So uh, I had points where I just had that background music sort of playing quietly while I was doing something else and had the game paused. But um, I think the the thing that works for me with sort of background music and ambient music is when you don't really notice it as you're playing the game, but you notice you can sort of hear yourself humming it when you turn the game off afterwards. And there was most of the tunes in that that were the, not the harpsichords in the channeling hall. They did that for Um, me. Is it the Civic Fest Hall? Is that what it's called? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, I think the thing for me, I I really liked the music, but the way, so it's more the implementation that showed its age for me. Like it's, it's a looped piece of music, but it, gaps every so often like it plays yeah. it doesn't loop mm-hmm. all the way around it just stops mm-hmm. and then starts up randomly and it and wasn't sure what was triggering it or if it was just there was a timed gap in um and mm-hmm. again i don't know if it's the quality of the original recording or just the bit rate that it's put into the game at mm-hmm. but even on the enhanced version the the switch version i was playing it sounded like a fairly low quality recording and that goes for the voices as well the acting, I thought, yeah, was, was pretty good. Even on PC, I think. It, yeah, it mm. sounds like the sort of thing where I was thinking, if I was listening to a podcast that sounded like this, I might be thinking about turning it off, just because it's <laughs> kind of really sort of got that scratchy, echoey... Let's hope our audio's good on this show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, now you've said that. Hopefully we're not using the backup. Uh, Caliburn M from the forum, another new contributor, I believe, says, I played and finished Torment soon after release and don't fully recollect all the details, but what I do recall is pretty much all good. Most of all, I remember the nameless one waking in the mortuary and finding Morte an unusual beginning for a decidedly unusual RPG. And it was the nameless one's search that really made me want to keep playing the game. Having played and enjoyed previous Infinity Engine games, I was looking forward to Torment, despite being unfamiliar with the Planescape setting, and I was not disappointed. The world and characters were generally far more diverse and interesting than other games, they still managed to hang together as a cohesive, believable whole, something its spiritual successor, Torment, Tides of Numenera, never quite achieved. While I felt its combat was pretty much on a par with previous games, the other options it gave you allowed a more varied approach than the talk-bash-talk cycle of similar games, an approach unfortunately largely ignored by many games that followed. It's a game I would still recommend everyone try, particularly as an updated version has been recently released. Well. Anyone who doesn't mind reading, anyway. In fact, it's definitely time for me to return to Sigil. Thank you very much. Mm. Yes, there is a lot of reading. Um, I mean, John, you said early on, and, and you know, I, I, I didn't go quite as far as you, but you were saying that, you know, you, you, you just found the writing to be fantastic. And, and like, I do think it's strong. Like, it is, it is colourful and it's frothy and it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's not just... It's not just walls of, uh, you know, kind of rote, uh, 
prose there is there is some spark to it right yeah and there's and there's like a yeah. constant engagement with it as well you know, like you say it's not like you're just reading loads and loads and loads of text it's it's always about comprehending it and you coming back with a you know especially if you've got a high intelligence wisdom charisma stat whatever it's about coming mm. back with the most appropriate response like and you and you, yeah and you do spend a lot of time thinking about that stuff it's not a, a passive thing i think what really stood out for me especially um 18 or so years ago was that it feels like uh the sort of text that you'd read in a book it's not like uh what you would have typically seen in a video game at that point mm. the way that the prose flowed and that things all kind of tied together naturally and it was telling a a huge story but in this interactive form i mean you i almost felt at the time like i could have um you know if i'd, I'd sort of picked up a book and it contained this story that it would have been remarkably similar and the right. conversations back and forth between For the sure. characters and stuff would have felt very similar um in that respect, I absolutely adored uh, having to sit there and, if, you know, 43 hours or something spent playing it. You know, a huge amount of that time is is reading the text, and I don't I don't mind that in the slightest bit. Um, the way that it has that very Dungeons and Dragonsy fantasy style sort of long names that mean nothing, words with lots of you know long strings of consonants and things, lots of sort of Zs mm -hmm. and Xs and letters that we don't use so often um, if, if you're not used to that sort of thing it can pull you out quite quickly um and certainly there's you know within sort of fantasy there's uh high and low bars for that sort of thing i mean something like lord of the rings is fairly simplistic um but i've not that um long ago been reading uh the first in a series of books i think either the, the book is the gardens of the moon or the series uh i think the book is the gardens of the moon mm. And I found parts of that to be almost incomprehensible just in the way that every sentence contains four different people's names <laughs> as a rule. The proper noun, not, yeah. the curse yeah, of the proper not noun. Yeah. English language names at all, and you don't know how to pronounce these things. Yeah. It's very easy for that to get overwhelming, but Torment, I think, has a, yeah. a very good balance of it does have those fantasy tropes, but not in a, not in a way that is completely unfoundable. Yeah. Or, um, and I think it... Yeah, like it, it does that a great job of like for me, you know, all sort of enjoyable sort of fantasy and, and sci fi is always like, here are the rules that this world operates on. They're weird, but just take them as <laughs> as fact. And then the story is just people bouncing off those rules in weird and interesting ways. So, you know, you walk into Sigil and you're like you you know, you've been had it explained to you that the way that portals work and stuff. Um and then you meet this woman who just like accidentally fell into a portal into basically hell um yeah. and as a result like she's so you know mentally and physically scarred by it yeah. that she's just basically stayed in this one town square for like 20 years like com like completely afraid to walk through any kind of passage because it might teleport her somewhere else and then you know when you chat to like ebb creek knees that old warrior guy and he explains how mm. portals work and he's like um, he's like, yeah. When I was, uh, you know, when I was a young man, I convinced this woman that, like, if she kissed me between these two trees or whatever, it would take us to Arcadia, which is like, you know, this heaven um, plane. And he's like, and it turned out I was right, and it was great. And we, <laughs> and it, it, so it's kind of <clears throat> really illustrates how, yeah, these portals like give you access to everything in in creation, and 
sometimes that is something absolutely horrific but also really nice stuff as well and it's it's weird like because sigil itself like say a lot of it is quite grimy i suppose Mm -hmm. um and, and it is a shame that you never see any of the the nice things but there are so many encounters with characters that are like like really magical the that woman that you meet who she's kind of narrating everything that's happening to her but then halfway through speaking to her you realize that she's narrating the future and everything she says is coming true and she <laughs> and you realize it's that like she is this this like unbelievable like godlike being who's just kind of wandering around kind of naive and yeah. not realizing that you know if she says like oh the man's head exploded it would you know, like it's <laughs> it's just things like that. And and that's just a character who you, you know, that's like a tiny side quest. You meet her and then it turns out, you know, there's someone else who's looking for her who's just like, yeah, she's no idea how powerful she is. I need to find her. And, and yeah, and that's just like a tiny side quest. And that's and that's it. Um, just little characters like that you meet. You just have these these fascinating little tales or abilities or, or whatever. Um, like just brings so much color to the world, I think. Well, even the the woman you mentioned, who's uh, petrified of touching or doing mm. anything for going through a portal, yeah. falling through another portal. Um, next to Ebb Creek Nice is uh, Candrian, and you can yes. talk to him, and he explains everything about the planes. Yeah. And then you can ask if you can send this woman to come and see him. Um, and the the woman, I can't remember if it's her teeth or teeth she's holding, yeah. is ra- literally described as as sounding like she's got rattling teeth, and mm. it's supposed to be like she's on edge, you know type thing and then when the, all of that happens she ends up giving you the teeth and those are a set of teeth you can put in Mort's head it's just this weird <laughs> that's a weird encounter if you're not talking to everyone and going through the dialogue and yeah. the dialogue has to be good enough to get you to want to do that of course mm. you just never get the knock-on effect and sometimes it seems really random how you're supposed to resolve something like um the the crier of s and oh, on, s and on. Yeah, who, yeah yeah who I assumed mm. I had to go to Hamris, who is the um, the coffin maker. I assumed he'd know where to get a tombstone. Turns mm. out, no, it's right at the beginning of the game next to the mortuary. There's the, the monument where mm. there's inscribing names. Great. I didn't realize that until I came back to the mortuary and back to that monument hours and hours later. But just really cool stuff like that. I think for the dialogue itself, um, the kind of the, it's going to sound weird, but the highest praise I can give it is the sections of near that are text adventure style um, sections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This game's dialogue feels like that to me, and especially mm-hmm. when you've got in near Grimoire Vice, who is basically Mort, and you've got Kaine, who's basically Anna. In, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, as as just loose kind of ties there. Yeah, but yeah. it's that kind of dialogue where you get a sense of the character from the way they talk, and you get a sense of the accent from the way they talk. So the fact there isn't that much spoken dialogue, it's just snippets here and there, it never inhibited my ability to enjoy the dialogue as though I was hearing it. Mm. I was particularly going to ask you, James, as the person who'd had the most trouble with the game on a technical mm. level, with the interface with the and all that, was the writing enough to keep you interested and motivated despite all that? Obviously, you literally couldn't continue mm-hmm. at, at one point, but... Up until that point, you were obviously finding elements of the, at yeah. least this incarna- yeah. incarnation of the game, frustrating. But the writing was keeping you involved some, I, somewhat. I would say it took me somewhere between fifty and twenty hours to start getting a handle on the mechanics of the game enough to feel like I could enjoy any of that. All that yeah. time, what was keeping me going, and John had said recommended this was 
talk to everyone. It makes it a very slow game yeah. to play through, but if you're not on a deadline, you're not rushing to play it, talk to yeah. everyone because even if it seems like a dead-end conversation, there's probably some joke in there or some weird tangent to go on that may only take you a few minutes, but it may end up taking you hours, and it will, I, I think, be enjoyable along the way. Uh, final bit of trivia. On St. Patrick's Day and Easter of 2000, the developers released a pair of humorous character modifications, one that turned the character of Anna into a leprechaun and Morte into an Easter egg. <laughs> I'm intrigued to know if they changed Anna's voice to match the leprechaun. I'm assuming they didn't. Maybe they did the so helium thing. Was, they yeah, might have... I mean, the game was made by Americans. They might have assumed yeah. it was the, the Scottish and Irish are the same Scottish thing anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Or, close, or close enough. <laughs> it's all Celtic. Celtic. Yeah, it's all... I think, uh, Generally yeah. Celtic. Uh, top of the morning to you, James. <laughs> I was, was going to ask, actually, just on that note, leaving aside the, the slight against my personage, <laughs> um, I was going to ask uh, for you uh, guys who played on PC were there a lot of mods that you found were worth installing is the enhanced edition kind of just v v I know there are I looked yeah, into yeah. it um, the rest anywhere one sounded quite appealing <laughs> especially 20 because hours you in. really <laughs> yeah you really do have, so resting takes 8 game hours there is an in-game clock yeah. Uh, there's day and night cycle, which we haven't even mentioned. The graphics change. Um, the there's no penalty for resting as often as you want in this game. The game, you know, the the, the story can take as long as you want, and in, in the traditional RPG style, uh, despite you know the anxiety of sleeping two hundred times in Final Fantasy VII and thinking when's Comet gonna crash into the <laughs> Earth? It's never is the answer. It's not like Majora's Mask. Uh, so yeah that one appealed i think there are various other ones i think you can i mean you obviously you can just make yourself invincible or whatever yeah. um but i think there's a few quality of life ones yeah. which i saw recommended but i i felt like i would just play it modless john did you mm. investigate any uh no i didn't although the one that you mentioned where you can stack uh multiples of uh, weapons oh, and rings yes, and things yes, on top yes. of each that's, other. Yeah, that's that right. would have been amazing, <laughs> but um, that probably would have reduced my playtime uh, yeah, by so doing it would kill, item management juggling uh, by a couple of hours. I presume it also um, breaks or doesn't break. It, it Presumably that mod also removes your encumbrance limit because otherwise you'd just, you know, you'd be stacking. Oh, so maybe true. you have the option of keeping encumbrance on. But yeah, it's got all yeah. that stuff. One thing that I wanted to mention about playing it, so I, again, I played yeah. it on a relatively recent PC with a decent amount of RAM and a modern graphics card for whatever sort of that use that is for, for a game like this. Um, but also a solid state drive. And I was talking to my friend Barnaby who lives downstairs about his playthrough from back in the day. And he said that, you know, screen transitions, I don't know if you remember mm. Sean, but playing this on a PC of the time would have been a lot, 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 lot slower because yeah. essentially every time I went from somewhere to somewhere else, it took, almost no time at all we, you know in eight eight gigs of ram from a solid state drive but playing it back in 99 it probably would have had to access a slower hard yeah. drive or even the disc i don't yeah, know yeah yeah so yeah there's a lot of loading screens and although to be fair they did at least have um you know renders of uh sigil and stuff so it was quite cool to get oh, to yeah. see some yeah. of that stuff but yeah i mean i'd, I'd still rather not have the loading screen at all <laughs> yeah couple of three word reviews only not that many people played this game it's one of those weird ones you know where you know it's a beloved cult classic that 
quotes everyone wants us to cover. And then when it comes down to it, hardly anyone's going to review it for us. But here we go. So we got one bad, one good. Uh, Simon Sloth says, too many words. <laughs> and uh, Mark in the House of Wood says, changing mankind's nature, which is, you know, pretty high up the scale of things a video game can mm. do. So, yeah, let's summarize. Obviously, we'll start with uh, fail to complete James. Thank you. I'll go on my obituary. <laughs> Um, obviously my enjoyment of this game was dictated an awful lot by the platform I chose to play on and I kind of feel like that's the story of my playing this game I I felt like in a lot of cases choices I was making in terms of platform, in terms of my class, in terms of restarting the game to change class, I felt like a lot of the time my choices I was being not slapped down for but were making my life more difficult and in a lot of cases, how could I have known? Like People might say, okay, you're going to play on Switch, a CRPG, expect controller, you know, control scheme issues, etc. But in terms of classes yeah. and stuff, it felt like it should have been maybe... It For all I'm saying, it's flexible. I've still felt like whatever I chose on both uh, playthroughs I started, my life was being made difficult in ways I didn't really appreciate it being made mm. difficult, um, which mm. is the nature of an RPG that allows you to choose. So that said, I was really disappointed when I ran into a problem uh, at um, Ravel's or Ravel's maze. Um, that whole conversation with her was amazing. And the fact that the game basically crashed to a point where I couldn't continue beyond that was really disappointing. The The bigger disappointment is if I was going to restart now, it would have to be on PC probably. And that's a large number of hours. It's a big ask to go back and try and play through to see the end other than on YouTube. I ended up watching it. But my takeaway from this is I tried starting Dragon Age hadn't. I kind of thought it needed to be a Mass Effect or a Fallout style of RPG to get me in the door. And what this game showed me is if I play on PC, probably CRPGs, especially like this quite possibly are a door that's now open to me. I just need to bear in mind I think so. that a 20-year-old game is going to feel like a 20-year-old game in some ways. Um, this whole conversation, I, I wrote down a series of points I wanted to bring up here, and every single one of them was negative. And yet, I think, I hope you guys agree, and I hope the audience agrees, that actually I think I enjoy this game a lot more than I thought I did at, at 10 o'clock right. last yeah. night when things were going sideways for me. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. The the dialogue and the story, I think, hold up. I think the playing of it might stymie some people's enjoyment a little bit, and that's a shame. But it's especially the on nature console. of the the beast, unfortunately. And yeah, play on PC if you've got the opportunity and desire to play on PC. Mm, thanks, James. Well done for soldiering on as far as you no. did. Hopefully, you can. I don't know. If I, I don't think. I know some of the games, uh, particularly CRPG style games. Uh, I think is the the Witcher supports it cross saving from different. Or I could maybe on PC, I could PC find a save so. file and download that. Something maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah. can look into it. We'll see. It wouldn't be your story then. Well. That's the problem with, with a game <laughs> yeah. with multiple yeah, branches no, for sure. and tranches. Yeah. yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, so uh, I've probably had ever so slightly more of a schooling in the ways of the CRPG than James going into this. So I was, yeah, somewhat aware of what I was getting myself into. Um, and even on a PC, and I had, you know, minimal technical issues, although some of the bugs were replicated across the the platforms, 
um, I managed to to get through. This game treats the player intelligently in a number of ways, I would say, both in terms of the story being, you know, quite dense and complex and having a lot to read. Um, and also in terms of it being mechanically, yeah, flexible. I, I think I, I totally understand what James is saying. And I think there is this still, there is this dichotomy between the flexibility and the, the sort of the the predeterminedness of your path through the game mm. and in in a way i think that's kind of the point of the mm -hmm. story and yeah. maybe the 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 way of the the balance that they've they've put in this particular kind of incarnation of this game and the way it pans out in terms of the balancing of the economy and by that i don't just mean the the amount of money you have but the xp economy and the the economy of items and loot and and gear and all that stuff but the way I played it, I did find it enjoyable. Mm. I liked the fact that ultimately I treated it as a an interactive fiction and therefore I wanted to have the most dialogue options possible and the most varied encounters. And I knew that was the kind of skew of this game more than the combat. However, as we discussed, the combat doesn't always let you get away with it. <laughs> and so I did end up in some pretty comical and and occasionally frustrating scenarios of dying repeatedly and picking my way through dungeons that were extremely hostile but that was also kind of exciting and fun as well so uh yeah overall i am now itching to play more crpgs both the traditional original ones from the time the fallouts and the baldur's gates but also the modern incarnations the wastelands pillars of eternity divinity original sin uh the recent one that i've forgotten the name of that sean mentioned disco earlier Elysium. it's on my list disco elysium thank you uh, and they're all, yeah, they're all widely available, often in sales. Uh, obviously, they're time-consuming games, but hopefully we'll cover some more in the future. Um, I suppose, yeah, one thing that did strike me while we were talking, mentioned very early on about people playing this as just the nameless one and not recruiting any characters. In a way, that would be the, although it would take, in a way it would remove a lot of the interaction, a lot of the fun, the personality, the romance, the, the friendship and all that sort of thing. But it would be the way to play because if you die as the nameless one, you just respawn because you're immortal, the nameless one. So it would also take out a lot of the fear of losing party members mm -hmm. and stuff. And you get all the, all the rewards of being the, the sole player. So I, I, if I was, you know, again, infinite time, infinite, <laughs> infinite games to play and all that but if i was going to play this again i would probably try that route just play as the nameless one and not reload just take my deaths i think that would be an interesting mm. experience yeah. as well um but yes uh pc version is the way forward i know it's tempting it's come out on console but this game is absolutely designed from the ground up to be played with a mouse and keyboard and i think based on both james and sean's experience with tablet and switch i think yeah that's a strong yeah. recommend on a particular format or mac mac or pc a personal computer mm. but yeah uh interesting game glad i've played it john hmm well just to uh immediately follow on from your recommendation to play on the pc uh i made the perhaps unwise decision back in the summertime to pre-order the um super special boxed edition of all five games for the <laughs> xbox one 
Um, and that's due to come out in a few weeks, I think, <laughs> well, whenever they actually release Neverwinter Nights. And that £200 left my bank account four months ago. Plug so. a mouse into the Xbox yet? I can't remember. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, even if you cared, presumably it's not going to take away that switching battle system that James was talking mm. about. So I feel like I'm going to have a somewhat downgraded experience for my future playthroughs. But it is definitely something that I want to I want to play again and again. Um I'm very pleased that I, I chose to uh, put this forward for the show. Very pleased that I've finally got my chance to replay it. Um, I remember very much enjoying it uh, 18 years ago and playing it over the last few weeks. It rekindled a lot of the the feelings of excitement and wonder and just enjoying reading some words instead of having things shouted at me <laughs> for once um, and having dialogue choices that I, I could pick the choice. And I knew that was actually what was going to, you know, be be conveyed. Nothing, I think nothing has annoyed me more in um, sort of video game dialogue choices than those ones in Mass Effect specifically where you pick the choice and then your character says something that's kind of along the lines of that but is often different enough that you may not have chosen that same thing. Um, so I, I've got a huge amount of respect for, for Torment and the other similar sort of CRPG games for for what they did, especially at um, a, a time that you would potentially think uh, maybe games were more toys and less um, less sort of a serious pastime, but you know I don't uh, I don't particularly subscribe to that opinion myself. But it's something that you might look back on and think, well, in the nineties they weren't as sophisticated a thing as they are. Um, I like I said before, very happy to. Uh, have the opportunity to replay this a few times and uh like uh like leon i definitely wanted to now go on and play all of these other crpgs from this resurgence from the last couple of years and i've heard uh a number of people say that divinity original sin mm-hmm. 2 is absolutely one of the best of this type of game yeah, so, i've heard that a lot um <laughs> that and then disco elysium that's only a couple of months old huge amount of positive talk about that i mean i've got tides of Numenara that I now need to start playing or need to continue those few hours I've played again uh, last night so yeah I think uh, if we could please put all video game releases on hold for 2020 (laughs) and I'll just play lots of CRPGs please yeah Yeah, everyone else is just going to completely be oh yo yeah John wants to play CRPGs that's fine bump everything to 2021 but uh, that may well be my mindset Thanks, John. Let's conclude with our guest, Sean Bell. Um, so, yeah, playing this in 2019, there are criticisms. You can level at it. There are things that haven't aged well. But, like, the fact that... like, So, for me, the only games that have really even tried anything similar to Planescape Torment, and, you know, this whole idea that, yeah, there's combat in it, um, you know, but it's really you should be trying to talk things through. Like... Torment Tides of Numenera does a really good job of that. Um, but as a result, like, you know, the combat is more avoidable, but as a result, the combat is very rudimentary in that game. And then more okay. recently, Disco Elysium, which there's just no combat at all. Um, ah. Like, you know, and, and I'm sort of, those games are very fresh in my mind playing Planescape Torment. And, I'm, and as a result, there are things about Torment that are a bit irritating now. But there was 18 years between yeah. Torment coming out and Tides of, uh, Tides of Numenera. Like, mm. it, in, in this, you know, this sort of pantheon that, that, that now exists 
of these these three games. This was the only one for so long, and and like yeah, there, there's other you know CRPGs, um, but none of them have the 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 quality writing and this this bizarre feel that Planescape Torment has, and so yeah, it has aged, but for for a long time it didn't. <laughs> like it was it was such <laughs> a, a wonderfully singular thing. Um, I mean, and yeah, like, you know, especially like you were, you know, you're both saying you're interested to play more of these, like Tides of Numenera is fantastic and Disco Elysium is as well. Um, like they are definitely, like if you, if you are completely new to this stuff and you want to know where to start, like definitely start with, with Planescape Torment. Um, just be aware about, you know, the, the age of it. And, um, if you're looking for a less combat heavy experience, do be aware you will be forced into it occasionally. But yeah, like you know, start with this, and then you've got like so much other brilliant stuff to to get through afterwards. Yeah, it just don't play the iPad version, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> or the, the Switch, Switch version. version. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well that was lovely. It remains for me, Leon, to thank James, John, and Sean. Mm. Sean, you do other stuff. I do. Tell our listeners about it in case they're not aware. They probably are. But, uh, you know. I do the Computer Game Show, which you can find at thecomputergameshow.com. dot com. We do a podcast every week, and we do streams um and it's it's pretty good some people like it <laughs> is that what you're gonna I, say I, I don't know i mean i'll probably get shouted at by da- actually not no dave's never gonna listen to this so i'm not gonna get shouted at for a half-hearted no book. he's definitely not gonna um, listen to this one <laughs> anyway yes uh for those who don't know there are there are there are friends and our enemies and uh there is endless bants <laughs> occasional bants uh between the two shows but we love each other dearly we do different things and we kind of jockey around each other in the iTunes charts <laughs> uh, and we'll continue to do so forever. Um, thank you also to our correspondents and to you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe. Please do rate. Please do review. Give us a rating. Give us a review, please. It helps. It does. Uh, and also, best of all, patreon.com slash rinse A dollar a month or more if you can. Less than a quid. And you get every show early, often extended. This one will likely be extended beyond the two hours of the free for all version and an exclusive monthly podcast with Jay and I, which people seem to enjoy. So, yeah, do that. Do that thing. Next time in issue 399, yet more Jungle Japes as Donkey Kong Country returns.